Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Last time we met, we started a, a, a simple series And unless the Lord tells me differently, this will be our second and last of this series. The last one lasted around 10 times. The title of this series is God's Rest is My Rest. And uh, we want to briefly review, since we haven't met in a couple of weeks, we want to briefly review where we are in this amazing passage. It's mystifying in some ways when it's talking about the rest of God. Let's look at our our passage, and I won't go into the depths of the background that I did last time. We'll hit the highlights. But the historical context of this passage is essential for us to really get the gist of what the Lord is trying to say here. In chapter 3, he begins by saying, as the Holy Spirit said, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, you do know the Holy Spirit talks, don't you? He has a voice. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my way, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, word of the church here, verse 12. Beware, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Notice the word evil. Notice that there be, beware that there be in any of you an evil heart. What does God define as an evil heart? Of unbelief. Wow. Everybody say it with me. God sees evil rooted in unbelief. That evil, unbelieving heart will will cause us to depart from the living God. Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Notice the progression there. There's unbelief, there is a departure, a disobedient departure from the living God, there is a hardness of heart, and um, notice that it's all connected to the deceitfulness of sin. There are some groups of Christians nowadays who are actually saying that uh, they can live in that place where they never commit any sin. First John is pretty clear about that. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 
Who having heard, verse 16, who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry? Forty years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter in because of, say it with me, unbelief. Now let's, let me remind you of the historical background. Just hold your place there and very briefly we're going to hit the highlights of this. Turn back to Numbers chapter 13. You'll, you understand the occasion. The children of Israel had been led out of Egypt mightily and miraculously. God had performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they had been brought out of the land. In fact, when Pharaoh chased the children of Israel, God parted the Red Sea and then caused it to come back on the Egyptians. They were safely on the other side. Mighty, mighty miracles. And God said, I'm not finished. I want to lead you into my land of highest and best. Everybody say it with me. Being saved is not all there is. God wants to lead me into his highest and best. So you see, God said, I led you out of Egypt not to cause you to be stuck in the wilderness. My desire for you is Canaan. There is a promised land that flows with milk and honey. In fact, the spies, one out of every tribe of Israel, were sent out there, and they came back and said, this is a great land. You see verse 27? It, is, it flows with milk and and honey, they brought back samples of the fruit. Nevertheless, how many of you know that when you start talking about the promises of God, you don't need to let your nevertheless get in the way? Nevertheless, the people who dwell there are strong, cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. You remember, Goliath the giant was a descendant of Anak. By putting that in modern-day terms, we find out that a lot of these, this genetic generation of the sons of Anak were over nine feet tall. Now, that's a big guy. The, Amalek the Amalekites are there, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. There's all kind of ites over there. It's a great land, but there are way too many reasons why we can't have God's best. Way too many reasons. Notice in verse 31, the men who had gone up after Joshua and Caleb gave a great, they, they, they said, we ought to go up at once. This is ours people that went up there, the other ten said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. By the way, who do you think stronger than you are? Who do you think stronger than you are? Is it somebody who sued you? Is it the bank? Is it your friends? Is it the club? Who, who do you really believe is stronger than you, and who do you really believe is standing in the way from you having God's highest and best? Who is it that one word from them can cause you to lose your faith 
and to cause you to get into a tailspin and go backwards. Who is it? Who's the ites in your life? 32, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. Boy, they're changing their tune. They just said it was a good land. They said, we're not able to go up there. All the people are people of great stature. Verse 33, we saw the giants. And notice this, we were like, like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So did they go over there and take a poll? How do you guys think, what do you think of us? No, they went over there as spies. So I want you to understand this, that the greatest sources of fear and the greatest reservations you're going to have to having God's best are not only real, sometimes they're imaginary. We were like grasshoppers. They were big giants. They were, all, they were fortified cities. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, and so we were in our own sight. So how are you seeing yourself? When you meet with others, when you meet with your bosses, when you meet with your customers, when you meet with your family, when you meet with bank officials, do you see yourself at their mercy or do you see yourself as a son and daughter of the living God? Do you see yourself according to Ephesians 3? Do you see yourself according to Ephesians 1, 3 and following that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that in the eyes of the only one that matters you're holy and righteous and blameless in Christ Jesus? How do you see yourself? They had lost their self-image. They had been deceived because they began to see themselves through the lens of circumstances and other people. Well, notice it didn't stop there. Notice what else happened. As we go into chapter 14, all the children of Israel lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Do you know that there is a vicious spirit of depression and anxiety and the loss of hope that has permeated our culture. Our precious Sandra Joan right here, who's been with us from the beginning, is a wonderful teacher, an educator, one of her students that she has taught and even mentored, hung herself last week. Another young person giving up on life and hope We love you, we're praying for you and for that family. The children of Israel, can I tell you something? If you begin to see yourself through the lens of how others see you or what they say about you or through the lens of this world, if you don't begin to see yourself through how God sees you, you will have all kinds of self-image issues and it can lead to destruction. Major. Well, notice what else here as we go into 14. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Well, wait a minute now. Moses and Aaron are those who led them out of Egypt. Moses was the man that went before Pharaoh and said, 
in the name of God Almighty, you let these people go. And so now they're complaining against them. Many of you own businesses and you work with folks that are in place. Isn't it amazing how quickly people can abandon leadership if things don't go really, really the way they want them to? It's pretty quick, isn't it? So another symptom of unbelief besides a bad self-image, another symptom, an enemy of God's best, is beginning to distrust those that God has placed in spiritual leadership over you. Notice verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land only to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to just go on back to Egypt? In fact, Let's select us a leader. Let's get rid of this Moses and Aaron, guys, and let's go on back. It was making bricks, and we were slaves, and we'd been there over 400 years, but let's go on back. At least we didn't have to face all this every day. (laughs) So you notice that part of unbelief in not having God's best is you begin to wonder what God's real intentions for you are. And you know what happens? We begin to see our circumstances, and boy, this is a rough world, isn't it? Circumstances are rough. When you begin to define how God feels about you only through your circumstances instead of through the Word of God, then you will begin to doubt God's intentions for you and wonder, does He really Does he really want highest and best for me? The lens of the Word is the only lens that God says is totally the truth and accurate. The Word of God. Unbelief and a desire to go back to their old patterns. This is the enemy of God's highest and best. Now back to our passage in Hebrews. I want you to go into chapter 4 with me. Follow along. Talking about God's rest. Therefore, chapter 4 verse 1, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of us come short of God's rest. For indeed the gospel, the good news, was also preached to them like it has been to us. But it didn't work for them, it didn't profit them, because it was not mixed with what? Faith in those who heard it. Chapter 4, verse 2, For we who have believed do enter that rest. Hmm. So I've been asking the Lord the last couple of weeks, Holy Spirit, reveal to me, my inner man, reveal to me where I'm not at rest. When you look at your checkbook, are you at rest? When you listen to your children, adult, and in the house, are you at rest? When you talk to your spouse, are you at rest? When, when you labor under the leadership of others, are you at rest? Now let's see what rest is not. Remember now, 
God said, I'm going to lead you into my rest, but that was not the absence of the ites. There were still Canaanites and Jebusites and Amorites over there. So God's rest is not the absence of difficult circumstances and situations. God's rest is not the absence of pain. God's rest is a deep-rooted assurance. It is internal order. It's a peace that passes understanding. Because your inner man is not disturbed. Now, listen, one of the ways the Holy Spirit gets us to move into a new season is sometimes we get temporarily, there's a churning of the waters, I call it, an internal churning of the waters. Something just won't let us stay comfortable where we are. And when we seek the Lord about it, He begins to let us know, look, there's another assignment I have for you. There's something different, a new step of obedience I want you to take. So temporary troubling, churning on the inside can sometimes be the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I am ready for you to move on now. But so many of us live in long periods of internal churning and troubling and we're just our peace is disturbed for a long period of time and we never come to grips with what it is when your peace begins to get in disturbed remember this the one of the main ways god reveals his will to you is is the presence of internal peace where the holy spirit is when that peace begins to get disturbed, go to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit of God, you who are searching my innermost person, would you reveal to me why there's a lack of peace in me right now? Ask the Lord to show you that. And then deal with it accordingly as he speaks to you. So this internal order, this, this peace, is part of God's rest. It's an assurance of an end result that your heavenly Father is bigger than any circumstance or issue you're going through, and He's got the end result in His hands. You are in His hands, and you can't lose. You're His. That doesn't mean you don't ask for prayer. It doesn't mean that you don't do things in the natural that you're supposed to do. But it does mean that there is an internal witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that knows that God Almighty is overseeing. He, he listen, He oversees what He doesn't initiate. God uses what He doesn't initiate. He's sovereign and almighty. There is sin and brokenness and results of all kinds of brokenness in this world. But God is greater. And grace is greater than any and every situation you could possibly have. Always bigger. God is in control of the end results as you trust Him. I've got an acrostic here. I don't do acrostics very much. I presented this to the men's Bible study the other day. Think about rest through this acrostic. R, 
a revelation of His presence. Paul wrote this from, a, from jail to the Philippian believers. And he said, Rejoice in the Lord at all times. Again I say rejoice. And then what he said in verse 5, Philippians 4 is, The Lord is at hand. You know what that means? He's right here, right now. Everybody say it with me. The Lord is right here, right now. So when you get that bad news, so when there's difficulty going on, when the disturbing of your peace comes, maybe one of the first things you ought to say is, hold on just a minute, the Lord is right here, say it with me, right here, right now. Now Paul wrote that from jail. Right here, right now. And not only that, revelation of his presence, but look at verse, look at uh, E in that acrostic, expectance of his results being worked out. Philippians 2.13 says, God is, everybody say is, is. at work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, if, God, if I don't hear what God is saying and doing, it's not because He's not saying or doing anything. It's because I need to listen a little more intently and for a little longer time. Don't assume that just because the Spirit of God doesn't speak to you right away that He doesn't have anything to say. You know, sometimes he doesn't want to give you the answer right away because you're just like me. When you get the answer, you say, thank you, I'm gone. No, sometimes the Lord doesn't answer you right away because he just wants a little fellowship with you. He loves you. The expectation of his results are big. God is at work in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And S, standing firm on his promises. The, way, the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of somber, sunder of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a dis, uh-oh, uh-oh. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions, the motives of the heart. Whoa. But you know, that's a good thing. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize how much I need correction. Well, Pastor, you should not. Be. The older you get, the less correction you ought. Oh, come on. As long as you got this stuff on, there's something called indwelling sin. The Bible also calls it the flesh that you got to take to the cross every day. If you ever think that you're not gonna, you don't need that, you're just dead and don't know it. you got to apply the grace of God and walk in obedience. Amen? All right. Now, <clears throat> T, a total surrender to His agenda. How many of you know what I've found out? Sometimes His agenda is not mine. <laughs> Quite often. Again, 
the verse, God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is at work in you. Do you know that the difficulty of your circumstances and the longevity of that difficulty is sometimes because God is at work to do something a lot more powerful, a lot more permanent on the inside than he is on the outside. Romans 8, 28, we all know we could quote it. God works all things. How many is all? All things together for good to those who love him. Do you love him? Do you believe he's at work? Internally and externally. And then there was this one that I've lived with for 16 years since watching my son die. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own ability to understand. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps. You can't get so deep that trusting in the Lord is not a necessity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own ability to understand. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. It's true, isn't it? Let's read on. We're coming to the end. He has spoken, God has spoken in a certain place, verse 4, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place they shall not enter my rest, since therefore, I love this verse, verse 6, since therefore it remains, everybody say it's still there, that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after a long time, it has been said, Today, 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 don't harden your heart. If Joshua had given them rest, verse 8, they would not have heard of another day. There, verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And then 14 through 16, because I say, God is so hard to stay in a rested position. It's so hard for me to cease striving. What does it mean to rest? It means to cease that internal striving to try to fix it yourself in your own effort apart from the Lord. It means to rest means that you acknowledge that He is in control of you 
and that he is in control of every circumstance and situation and nothing or nobody is bigger than your God. Ever. A rest, you are his, you know whom you have believed and you're persuaded he's able to keep all you've committed to him. Amen. A rest, an assurance, a cease from striving to fix it and make and, and get it the way you want it. It is submitting to his lordship every day, recognizing that you have responsibility for input, but he has responsibility for results. So <clears throat> there is a rest. It's so hard, but you know, 14 through 16 tells us this. He knew that. And so we've got a faithful high priest who right now, Jesus, the Son of God, our high priest, is right there before the throne of the Father. And he gives us mercy and grace. Boy, I like that, don't you? He gives them mercy and grace to help us. In our time of need. I don't know about you, but for me, that's every day. Mercy and grace is ours, and we are being interceded for by the Lord, our high priest. But you know, I want you to know something else here. God's example, he rested on the seventh day from all his works. Do you know? The greatest thing is internal rest, arresting the results in the hands of God, just partnering with Him, cease striving in your own efforts to make it work. But you know, there's also a disconnect from the deep pressures of this life that is essential for spiritual health. God knows it. I told a man yesterday in a business He's talking about how weary he was. I said, you know what? God even rested one out of seven days and he didn't even need it. Scripture says he does not grow weary nor faint. Right? But he put that there as an example for us. Is everybody listening to me? For your health, your well-being, spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way, you've got to have regular snippets at least of separating yourself from the pressures that you feel like that you've got to work on and fix. Pastor, what about people like you the staff who are on call 24 hours a day. And that's the truth. That's the truth. I, sometimes I go play golf. And on Wednesdays, my brother and I at our mature age play nine holes of golf every Wednesday and I probably don't call you during that time. 
In fact, I got to tell you, I'm not working on my Sunday sermon. The Coosa River is in my backyard. And sometimes I just go down there and look at it and give God thanks for it. The other day I just got on a boat and went off by myself. That was an adventure. <laughs> Willikers. You ever tried to, if you don't know how to drive a boat anyway and you're trying to get it in a keyhole about that wide, in the current of a river. A lot of prayer going on. After I'm ready on Saturday with my prayer and study, I'm not thinking about this for about three or four hours on Saturday afternoon. Do you understand? Little snippets of rest disconnect from your work, your pressure, everything you've got on your plate. Find something that helps you rest where you disconnect from all that. Uh, you, you know the old adage. Um, you know, <laughs> if you keep, uh, uh, let me just put it like this. You came in a vehicle today, didn't you? Let's suppose that your gas gauge says empty and you say, I'm just going to pray more gas in there. Please don't do that. Your gas gauge says empty for a reason. But let's just say, you say, well, I'm not going to fool with that right now. I got places I got to go. I got things I got to do. If you keep on pressing the accelerator, you're either going to have a wreck because somebody's going to run right into you or you're going to be in the ditch. You're going to have a disabled vehicle. Do you know that you live in a vehicle? It's called your body. And if you don't have external rest and separation from what you are, what you are absorbed with, you're going to have a wreck. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So ask the Lord, give you wisdom on what you can do to disconnect from what you are absorbed in day to day that has the tendency to keep you in bondage. I was called at 14 and I'm 71. It's a long time. I told ministers under me, younger ones, the other day I made, the biggest mistake I've made is I didn't have enough fun. If you believe that you are responsible for holding everything together, fixing everybody, you're going to have a wreck. So
So ask the Lord to show you what you can do, even in small snippets. You don't have to go out of town, or you don't have to do everything all the time if you can't do it. Ask the Lord to help you find out how you can disconnect in small segments and learn to not only internally rest, but externally rest, disconnect. What I found out was if I feel like that the world will fall apart if I don't hold it together, God told me, you're trying to act like you're sovereign. And you don't have any business doing that. Amen? Well, God's rest is our rest. So I'm inviting you in closing to do what I've been doing. I've been asking the Lord, show me where I'm not at rest and show me why. And then deal with it when he tells me. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you again. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. I want you to know I pray for you every day. Dean and I are committed. serving you as your pastors. We've got a wonderful staff. Sharon, Wayne, Deborah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Gene. We're all here to serve you. Call on any of us. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. You can call on any of the elders of the church. They'll be happy to pray with you. Speak to you. pray this prayer with me Holy Spirit reveal to me where I'm not at rest reveal to me where I've taken ground that only belongs to you enable me to rest in the Lord to wait patiently for him to trust him with all my heart and not lean on my own ability to figure it out. Thank you, Lord. Precious Jesus, that you are praying for me before the throne of heaven. Right now, my high priest granting me mercy and special grace in my weariness my time of need, I depend on you. Father, I ask you to grant a rest to these in the sound of my voice. Grant them an internal rest and assurance that you're at work in every situation that would trouble them. Not only in them, but you're at work externally. I ask you to do whatever it takes, turn the hearts and, your word says you turn the hearts and minds of kings. So I'm asking you to turn the hearts and minds of decision makers in the life of everybody in the sound of my voice. Rule and overrule. 
Open doors no man can close. Close doors no man can open. Direct their steps, Lord. Make it very, very clear from the inside and the outside what it is you're doing. Encourage all of those, Father, in the sound of my voice. Oh, Holy Spirit, our comforter, our encourager. Grant it, Lord. May we hear your voice. May we see your work and give you praise for it. We thank you for your holy and mighty word that it's alive, that it's powerful. We desire to walk with you and enter into your rest. Now, Lord, give us wisdom where we're trying to take responsibility for assignments that are yours. We will obey, but we won't control. So we release them over to you. And all the people said, we'll see you next week. Go with God. He's going with you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.